Do you need a fancy car to get into someone's heart? Do you need a fancy restaurant to break into someone's spirit? Do you need a big jet plane and a condo in the Bahamas to get someone to tell you that they love you? Or do you only need four square feet with a calm mind and a sound heart? With the will, the intent, the fire inside of your belly that says, I'm here just for you. No social media, no politics, no COVID, no lockdown, no concern for anything else but the connection that I hold between my eyes and yours right now. You can only ever be where you are right now. What is your podcast? It's the major investment in your life, right? The journey will always be your journey. Yo, what's happening, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to another Bold Your Podcast on how to express love. And also, should you two just break up already? We've got a message here from a young male who's been with a girl for about nine months or so, and apparently it was amazing, but she feels like he doesn't care for her and isn't able to show her the love that she needs, so she wants to break up. He's attributing this a lot of this to him not being able to financially provide for her. We're going to dive into his message, but that's the crux of it, setting up the intro for today. And we're also just dive into ideas of for people that are emotionally unavailable, emotionally devoid, you struggle with expressing love, how to go about that in the best way. How to teach yourself, train yourself to open up, be vulnerable, and connect with someone on the heart to heart. We're going to definitely piece up that. We're also just going to get into understanding when relationships need to break up. You know, when that time of, there's no point of return now. You know, and coming to a full acceptance of when things need to change and need to transition to something else. So I thank you all for joining me in today. It's going to be a session. And if you are here on YouTube, uh, thank you for being here. If you do enjoy this content, drop a thumbs up down below. Leave me a comment. Any big questions, any big realizations you may have, I'll come back and check them out for sure. And also if you're here on the podcast land up in Spotify or Apple, wherever you may be, I'm uh, here with you as well. So thanks for being here. Let's do it. Oh, if you haven't signed up into the free weekly email newsletter, it's a great way of connecting with me every single week. I send out a free article on social dynamics and sexy updates from the rest of the universe. So head over to bolddojo.com. You guys can sign up for free, put your email in, it's done. Also, if you're not connected with me on Instagram, another good place to connect with, dive into some extra content over there, at uitang1, double O-I-Tang-1. Yosh, let's do it. Expressing love and breaking up, let's do it. We got this guy's DM. He sent this DM to me on Instagram. Going to maintain his privacy, as always. Just refer to him as X. And X says to me, Hey Adam, hope you're doing great. Just want your insight on an issue I'm currently dealing with. So I've been dating this amazing girl for nine months now, and it was a lovely experience, and we like each other's company so much. I'm 23, she's 24. During the relationship, she dropped out of uni because she realized after seven academic years, in brackets, due to her failing and repeating the years, in brackets, that the field she signed up for just doesn't align with her purpose in life. And now she's in the space of trying to figure out what's her next step and trying to figure out what her true calling is. She recently told me that she needs to end the relationship because she needs to spend more time with herself and take care of herself, although we don't live with each other. Plus, at times, she's expressed how she wasn't feeling like I care about her, and she did not know what she means to me, which I understood because I'm not the best at expressing love, but I'm working on it. My question is, should we fully break up or take a break so both of us can work on our issues, since we really love each other, but she says she doesn't feel it from my side? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. That was the first part of his message. He then came in with some extra context after that. For the past month or two, I've been having financial problems, so I couldn't afford going out and spending time with her like we used to. But I didn't open up to her about that because she too didn't have money, in brackets, due to her being sick for a while, so she wasn't receiving money, in brackets. 
And because I didn't want her to feel like she can't ask me for help or depend on me, but at the same time, I didn't want her to know that she won't think I'm not good enough for her. English is a little strange there. I think what he's trying to say is that he just didn't want her to think that she couldn't depend on him. Not only that, but also she, he also didn't want her to think that he wasn't good enough for her. Due to her having old, older male friends with stable income who offered and helped with lending her money. She had expressed how she felt like her friends really did care for her more than me. But I was trying my best to at least cover the expenses of us meeting and spending a good time with each other, which I feel like it burned me and drained me. And that's why she can't feel the love and connection from me when we meet. End message. So we got a few red flags there. A lot of red flags towards the end where I uh, talked about before the misconception, misalignment, the link he's making between expressing love, showing connection, and his finances. We're going to break that down. We also got to just break down the very tactical question of whether these two should even be together. You know, so it's interesting because I think most of this podcast, I really want to, once we get beyond this guy's message, I really just want to get into overall general principles with expressing love, expressing connection, and what that really is at the core level for us human beings. But because this is a straight DM, I also just want to tactically answer the question of whether these two should be together and hit the breakup, which I feel like we should just do first off the bat. But they kind of organically segue, organically one in the same. They're really one and the same because the reason why they're considering a breakup, would they be considering a breakup if he didn't have these ideas of linking his financial ability with his ability to communicate love? Hmm? We've got a few things to get here. So let's just shut them up there. Let's slow it down a second. <laughs> let's dive back up his message here. We've got to take into account that she is in a place of life of of self-creation. She's in a place of self-discovery and self-creation and that when things are unbalanced in her life hierarchy, it's undoubtedly going to cause some form of a riff in the other parts that even if they were doing very well, which in this case they're not. So we need to take that into account when thinking about her perspective. If we didn't hear any of the rest of the message and all I heard was that She's in a current place in life where she doesn't know what her purpose in life is. She's unbalanced. She doesn't know what she's doing with uni. She doesn't know what she's doing with her finances. Just on her own end. Then that right there is, that would already call into question whether these two should be, I'm assuming they're in a monogamous relationship. He hasn't said they're in an open relationship, so I'm just going to assume it's monogamous. But even that would bring into question for me, is this the best time for her to be in a monogamous relationship? We would then, of course, take into account how long the two have been together. If he said that they've only been together for a few months, like maybe one, two, three months, then it's almost even more of a sure thing that these two probably shouldn't be together just because it's it's the rockiest foundation where there's so many frameworks getting in the way of the organic human connection. And that's always what we're looking for here when you're looking to vet your relationship, whether I should or should not be in this relationship, what it comes down to fundamentally is what is the strength of our organic human connection? The more time you guys spent together, the more it's almost leeway, the more currency you have to play with, expenditure you have to be able to deal with the bullshit of 21st century society that won't necessarily affect your human connection because you guys have spent so much time developing that. But these two have only been together for nine months and she's already in a place of, I don't know how old they are. Looking at his DP, he's he looks early 20s. I could be a little bit off, but I don't think I'm that off. He's definitely not 30. That's that for sure. So, 
And if he is, that's an absolute miracle. I mean, do it well. Do it well for 30 then. So they're really, they've only been together for nine months. They're still relatively young in their life. She's not in a great place in life. Let's take that into account. Now, let's move into the next part in which that she feels like her friends show her more care than he shows to her. That right there already circumvents, leapfrogs her instability in her life. Because now we're talking about the actual human connection. Rather than the frameworks now, now we're talking about a a break in the human connection in which that she's not getting what she needs. She's not receiving from her masculine partner the vessel-like mentality that we always talk about. She's not receiving the emotional care that they signed up to. If they're in a monogamous relationship, which I'm pretty damn sure they are, she's not receiving that emotional care. And we will start to dive into what that means and what that looks like. But just now, just as we're setting this up and we're still in the top rung of this bamboo scaffold, if she's not receiving that, then if I was her, then I would be ending the relationship straight up. Now, that always, I know it always sounds harsh. I'll be ending the relationship straight up. I'm saying that because that's the end point. Would I, of course, have a conversation? an open and free, open and direct discussion, honest with my partner about how exactly I'm feeling, how exactly it needs to change and what improvements need to be made. Absolutely. Absolutely, I'd have that conversation first. But what I'm talking about is in the event that there was no change as a result of that, then of course, the relationship needs to end. Okay. We will, I think we'll get back to this as we flesh out more ideas of how to express love a little bit later on to do with his finances and the mislink, I should say, between those two. But for now, for now, just because she's in a rocky place in life and that she also feels like she's not getting what she needs from you, those are already two massive red flags. Two red flags that are not unrecoverable. They're not unrecoverable. It's not that you couldn't do work with each other to be 100% upfront, honest with each other, and humble. You know, extreme humility to say that, particularly for X. To have the humility to say to her that, yes, I've been making these mistakes and I'd like to know and I'd like your feedback on how to improve upon those mistakes because, you know, I love you and I think that you love me. I don't know if she loves him. It sounds like there might be teetering though. It sounds like it might be wavering. He needs to get clarity on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big point. It's a big topic. Big, big topic and big point in which that sometimes the love is not mutually reciprocated on the same level of intensity and the same level of depth. You know, the way that you feel towards someone, never assume that that person feels the same way towards you. And it's the hardest thing in the world to hear. <clears throat> Absolutely, my friends, the hardest thing in the world to hear for this guy to sit down with this girl and say, listen, uh, let's just call her Jenna, fake name Jenna. Listen, Jenna, I need to sit down, we need to talk about us, get some clarity, this would be good. Friday night, does that work for you? All right, sweet. We're down there on the couch. It's candles, it's night, and it's like, okay. I just need to open up to you about how I'm feeling. Just make sure that, let's make sure that we have the space to be able to fully communicate this. So let's not interrupt each other. Let's make sure we get everything out so no assumptions or misunderstandings could be had. All right, T's and C's set up, great. This is how I feel. How I feel is that I love, me, I love you more than you love me. I'm not sure if I'm doing the right things. I'm not sure if there have been mistakes that I've made. In fact, there's actually a lot of question marks in my mind right now about how I'm able to express my love towards you, how you're receiving that, my relationship between the link, mislink, I should say, of financial compensation, financial produce, production is bolstering. And maybe I've been actually mislinking, mislinking that that financial foundation was the doorway for me to be able to express love towards you. And because it seems that it seems that's the way I've been thinking about it. 
I want your feedback on that. Please let me know how you feel about all this. That's where this conversation begins. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm kind of cutting to the chase a little bit. It almost feels like I'm at the end of the podcast right now. I kind of am. I kind of have honey dick to you guys and gone to the end of the podcast here at the beginning. That's where this is all going to end up. But I'm just keeping it very tactical to begin with before we get very philosophical because I feel like it's going to be a very deeply emotional and romantic and spiritual session. It will be. I know it's already going there, which is why I'm trying to be as uh, scientific and tactical here at the beginning in case we get, in case I just get too lovey-dovey. <laughs> I'm not saying lovey-dovey. I mean, like, when I get emotional in the, in the spirituality and romance of things, I can often lose the tactical side because that's, it's just, you lose yourself in it. Especially when I start telling stories. When I start going to stories, I take you guys to a different world. I go, I go to a different world. So that's the conversation you need to have. And what are we targeting there, my friends? We're targeting clarity. We're targeting accuracy of information. We're targeting actual data. I want reference. I want her exact feelings. I want her exact thoughts. I want to see how she responds to me. I never want to assume that I know what she's thinking. I never want to just walk in to the house thinking, ah, yeah, she loves me as much as I love her. But actually, in her mind, it's like you're at 100% love bar and she's at down by 50. And she's just a very good mask. You know, we're human beings. We wear masks. We wear deep masks. We wear deep masks that go layers back to the point of which that you think you know what they're feeling, thinking and looking to receive from you, but seven layers down, it was couldn't be further from the truth. But there's layers six, five, four, three, and two that are in the way of that. That's why they can't really get to the truth of it with you. So we have to help people to remove their masks. The layers of their mask, we have to help them to remove them and wish that they could just be open with us and just tell us how it is. This is the hardest thing. One of the hardest things in human relationships is to be willing to hear the harsh truth. And the harsh truth is often six to seven layers down. It's not just when you walk in the front door on layer one and go, hey, is everything okay today? That's never the deepest level of truth. It's never the the harsh, and the deepest level of truth is always the harshest because it's the rawest. It's the one with no filter. It's the one with no... veneer or veil to protect you. Human beings, like, we want to protect others from their own pain. Not because if this guy was to sit down with her and say, and receive the feedback that actually this girl, maybe the girl was actually able to get down to it finally, whether it took her six or seven layers to get to it or whether she was just straight up able to get to it on the first layer, which was, yeah, actually, I I probably don't love you as much as you love me. And she just drives that stake, that stake into his heart. And that's just, that's that's cold steel. That's cold steel like my knife down here. It's not that we're necessarily so afraid of that exact statement hurting the person, but more so how the person would internalize that and then hurt themselves. That's because it's how they interpret that. Someone Someone listening to that feedback who's already come to peace with it would experience very little pain. If this guy had already come to the grips of that, I actually, we're just not in the right place in life right now because of life hierarchy. She's destabilized in her purpose in life. Also, I've made a lot of mistakes and be able to communicate and express my love towards her. There's just a lot of red flags everywhere. All I'm seeing is a field of red flags. And I've come to peace with this and it is the best thing that we need to separate right now. If he'd already come to peace with that prior to hearing her say the harsh truth of, yeah, actually... I'm probably not reciprocating the same feelings. I probably don't love you as much as you love me. There'll be very little pain received on his end, just purely because he'd already come to peace of it. 
his self-internalization has already been confirmed. However, a lot of people don't do that work. And so that when we have to tell someone the harsh truth, we would prefer, most people would prefer to just drill them through one, through the five, six, seven different layers to ease them down into that harsh truth, hopefully never actually having to give them the harsh truth, just dancing around it and hopefully they accept it because they just don't want to see them go through that pain. And I get it. I get it. It's, it's coming from a place of empathy, but actually it doesn't really help anyone. We need the harsh truth. If someone's fucking up, someone's making mistakes, they need to know. Especially if it's someone that you're in a romantic relationship with, roots are even deeper. Right? The soil that you guys have founded your relationship upon is even more layered down. So delivering harsh truth is always key. It's always key. Now, now that we've sorted that out, let's move on to the expressing of the love with the and his where I feel like he's made mistakes with this. Because there are big mistakes here. Big, 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 <laughs> big, big mistakes. So let's go ahead to his message here. I need to mention the friends. I need to mention it's when the finance comes in. We're going to talk about finance here. So I'm just going back into his message just to ascertain where this is. So she's expressed that she doesn't feel like he cares about her. She just didn't know what she means to him. But she understood because he's not the best at expressing love, but he's working on it. For a couple of months, he was having financial problems, so he couldn't afford going out and spending time with her like he like they used to. And he didn't open up to her about that because she too didn't have money at the time. And because he didn't want her to feel like she can't ask him for help or depend on him. And at the same time, she didn't want her to think that he's not good enough for her. So we got to... No, we've got to add another thing there because we, we, could, we could pause there and just rip that apart, but there's another part. He then goes on to say, she also has older male friends who are stable financially and that have offered to help with lending her money. Okay, let's pause that right there. No, 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 one more bit, one more bit because it's, it's, it's all of it. It's actually the entire message. And then she went on to say that she expressed how she felt like her friends really cared for her more than he did. He then went on to say that I was trying my best to at least cover the expenses of us meeting and spending a good time with each other, which I feel like it burned me and drained me. And that's why she can't feel the love and connection from me when we meet. So here we see the mislink that I've been talking about, that I've been honey-dicking throughout this entire first beginning of this podcast. The mislink between financial ability, financial ability and emotional ability, financial currency and emotional currency. That's what we're going to get into now. We need to tactically just start off at the first part. We need to take this part by part because there's several red flags throughout this. First red flag, my friend, is when you said that because you went through a couple months, a couple dry months, where you just didn't have really good finances at that time, that you didn't open up to her about that. So there is the first red flag. You were experiencing an issue, and it's actually more so of a red flag because of your mindset towards how you express your connection and your emotions. Because you inextricably link financial ability with emotional ability of course you would do this of course when you the bedrock of your ability to be emotional and to be able to connect with her in your mind is founded upon your ability to have strong financials which means let's put a picture on this that you're taking out for dinners for lunches you're going to theme parks you're spending time going to movies you're etc etc diving with the dolphins whatever you may be doing 
right? Taking rides here, taking rides there, taking flights there, staying in hotels here. You know, that because that's your bedrock, that's what you think that the relationship is founded upon. That's what you think that is actually keeping her. That's the sense that I get from you is that that is what you have placed the greatest amount of your stock in, your financial currency. But you also simultaneously attribute that to a pathway of your emotional connection and your emotional ability and your ability to current to transfer and to transition between the currency of emotions, which is the number one currency between human beings. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Hold on to that. So that's the that's the pathway we have from you. It's that your financial ability leads to your emotional ability, not the other way around or not that in any way, other way, shape or form. That's exactly the path you've laid out for me here. So it makes sense that if you had a problem with your financial ability, that you wouldn't open up to her about it. But therein lies the issue. Therein lies why she feels like you don't care for her. Therein lies, and it's only one part, but it's a huge part. It's just one micro that stems to the macro. If you're not willing to be open with her about this, then what else are you not open to her about? If you're not open up to her about, hey, listen, I'm having a bit of trouble with these finances, so you know we can't be doing all this flashy shit like we normally are, because you don't have the humility to say that, because you weren't honest with her about that, that affects you on a subconscious level. The entire mode of operation with which you treat her, the way that you look her in the eyes, the way that you hold her, the way that you walk with her, the way that you receive her, your ability to receive her, the ability to touch her, it all changes because you have a subconscious seed in which that your number one transfer commodity currency of value is no longer as strong as it used to be. So you might think that, oh, you know, finances aren't as good as normal, so I'll just play it off cool, won't even tell her about it, won't be honest about it. She won't know a thing. She knows everything. She might not know on the surface level that, oh, it's a finance issue, but what she knows on a subconscious level is that there's an issue, that he's not the same person. He's not treating me the way that he used to. I can't be the person that I want to be around him because he's got layers of masks. He's masking up as well. He's masking up big time and... You know, as human beings, all we ever really want is just the truth. It's, I'm not sure why you would go to... I, no, I say not sure. I know exactly why. But it makes no logical sense for you to go to such extremes to hide the nature of the reality. The reason why you would do that, of course, is because you're coming from a place of scarcity. You don't want to lose her because you think you would lose her if she thought you were not financially stable. But... Do you see that you never had her because of your financial stability to begin with? First off, you never owned her. First off, she never was yours. First off, you guys were in a relationship in which that was founded upon emotions first. Unless this is a sugar daddy relationship, and that is a very specific type of relationship in which that a financial contract has been set up between the two, that has superseded your emotional currency, then that's a different thing. That is definitely not the idea you've given me here though. You definitely have not told me that, so I cannot assume that. I can assume the opposite. Your relationship was incepted upon emotional currency first. Are there women that, even if they're not in sugar daddy relationships, that just place a high ticket? They place a high value on the ability to have a comfortable materialistic life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. However... 
they will never be able to deny the human nature. The human nature of emotions first, emotional currency first. How does he make me feel? You know, only a certain percentage of women are willing to cross the line into sugar daddy relationships in which that they forsake themselves. They forsake their human nature and say that I will deny the emotional desire, the emotional fulfillment and requirement as a human being with my sexual partner, my romantic partner, and I will deny that in order to gain financial stimulus from the sugar daddy. It's It's a very small percentage of women though. You know, you watch TV shows about it, you, you, you follow certain Instagram pages, it might lead you to believe that there's a lot more women like this than general. Yeah, just go out and meet people. Go out and spend the next 10, 11 years of your life cold approaching random strangers and you'll find out very quickly that even the girls that I've been with and women that I've seen who have been older than me as well, who are used to being with guys that are much more financially stable than I am, that... That, that still do like the materialistic things. They still do like a nice fancy dinner and they do like to jump out of a plane every now and again. You know, they do like to go out on a weekend trip. The emotions always came first. Emotions had to be there first. And emotions, my friends, is not always positive. It's not always loving. It's not always, don't, don't get too Disney about that. A lot of women require different sets. Women, requ- women in general require different sets of emotions. Not every woman is the same in terms of what emotional set point she's at and what she would like to receive from a partner. You know, some women want that text me five times a day, tell me that I'm your one and only, that we're going to be together forever. She wants that Disney-style narrative love. That's what she requires emotionally. Some women want a very dark form of emotion. They want, they want, a, they want a dark daddy. They want to be almost treated with benign neglect. Benign neglect to the point in which that it's like you're keeping them on such a distance, such a such such a distant leash that every time that you do give them a hit of something, it's so invigorating. It's almost as if you've been fasting. Some women are emotional fasters. Human beings, not even just women. This applies to men as well, but we're using them. Talking from a male perspective here, looking into a female. That. It's almost as if they've been fasting emotionally and some women love emotionally fasted relationships which say that it really does don't get a lot from you but then the one time they do get something from you it's an absolute cataclysm of emotional sensory overload. Spiritual, sexual, emotional overload in which that you just blow their minds because of that relativity to the fasted period. There are, there are different ways that and this now we're starting to be dive into what it means to express love. Expressing love can come in so many different forms. We're not there yet, though. We're staying on the finances. Stay on this finance, boy. <laughs> so, so bring it back up right here. We need to understand something very fundamental right here, which is if you want to ex, particularly, dressing you, if you want to know why she feels like, I just don't know what I mean to you. I feel like you just don't care for me. I'm not sure if you love me. She gets these ideas. She gives you these ideas. She feels like she needs to break up because of this. If you're telling me that you had problems with your finances and that you weren't willing to be honest with her about it, oh, there you go. There you go. Now, let's say that you were honest with her about it and said, hey, and had an open discussion and say, hey, listen, this is where I'm at. These are things that are happening and this is what it is. And you were just able to calmly, groundedly, and in a centered way, accept that nature and communicate that to her with no expectations. In doing so, realizing that, hey, she might leave, but hey, she might not. Doesn't, it shouldn't matter. 
It should not matter because either way, it's good. If she left you because you said you were having financial instability, is that the type of woman that you want to be with? Was that the type of relationship that you thought you were in? Were you being deceived? Were you being deluded? Were you living in an illusion? Let's say that she doesn't. Let's say that she flipped that and she goes, hey, listen, that's totally fine. It's like, I'm here to support you and I know that you're here to support me. Let's work through this together. Good as well. You guys going to grow together, form a stronger bond, exchange a little more emotional currency, get a little bit deeper into each other's psychological investment funds. As human beings, your threads get tighter. But you never know. And you will never know. And you... Yeah. And you, but you never would have known, huh? Now we never know. Because you weren't willing to have the honesty and humility to sit down there and have that conversation. Your pride got in the way. You know, pride's an interesting word, isn't it? People use pride and being proud so flippantly. I, it's one of the most cautious words I use. In the English vocabulary... The word pride is one that I seldom ever use. In fact, every time I go to say it, I have to check myself on it and then reframe it into something else because there is almost no scenario in which I can see that pride doesn't hurt you. There's very few to the point where I just don't say the word anymore because, and it's not even just, of course, the word, that's just sounds. It's the feeling that that has been inspired by but your pride got on the way here. Your pride of having to be this caricature of financial stability in which that, that is what determines you to be a man and your ability to express love and emotional connection to this feminine being you know, got in the way of the actual human connection between you two. So she feels disconnected, distanced, doesn't want to be with you now. It just brings me back to Aladdin, man. It brings me back to Aladdin. We talked about this in last week's session that... There's a lot of things I love about Disney. There's a lot of lessons I take from Disney and apply in my real life. There's a lot of lessons I take from Disney to not apply in my real life, things that I would definitely would not apply in my real life. It goes both ways. It's a, uh, it's a sword of no handle. No matter which way you're going to handle this sword, it's got to hurt. <laughs> but it's got it's, I mean, it's to be effective in both ways, in a sense. So in this scenario with you, I just look at the, the contrast between Prince Ali and Aladdin. I look at the difference between the street rat and the prince. Who did Jasmine fall in love with? The street rat. Who did she detest? The prince. Why though? This is not something to be breezed over. This is not something to just go, ah, yeah, cool little cartoon, cool little Disney story. No, 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 no. There's a fundamental human dynamic and social dynamic principle happening within Aladdin there. Why is Jasmine so deeply attracted to the street rat versus the prince? Because the street rat is just the street rat. He's not pretending to be anyone else. He's direct, congruent, authentic. Whatever he presents as, that's who he is. However he shows up, that's all you're going to get. It's undeniably attractive. It's so raw and organic to meet someone who just is as they are. That isn't pretending to be something else that they're not. Whereas when Jasmine meets Prince Ali, you know, the souped up, hyped up, all day, <laughs> the souped up, hyped up, all day Prince Ali, who's just got money out of everywhere. He's got elephants, he's got camels, he's got bloody birds with crackers in their mouths. Actually, that was the other, uh, no, what's his name? What's that, what's that red bird's name? 
It was Jafar's bird. I can't remember his name. Some of you, someone drop it in the comments. But he had a lot of shit going, right? Yeah, a lot of shit going. He got monkeys dancing. He showed up on her doorstep, hyped up to the maximum, an absolute hype beast. And she hated it because that's what she experienced all her life, being pursued by all these suitors that were just trying to use their financial currency. It's like literally the story of Aladdin, my friend, is the story that you're currently going through. I don't know if you've been through the street rat uh, part of the story, but the Prince Ali version of the story, if you were to just go back and watch the original 1991, I think it's 1991, it's in the 90s, Aladdin Disney film, and just watch the story and how Jasmine interacts and interrelates with Prince Ali version versus street rat version you would gain a lot of insight and a lot of clues as to what's going wrong in your relationship here because you're effectively doing the same thing and effectively have done the same thing that Prince Ali did to Jasmine. You tried to use your financial currency to win her heart. You tried to use your financial stability in order to convey, cultivate emotional stability, emotional currency. But it never works out that way unless you are dealing with someone who is in that spectrum of having forsaken themselves into which that emotional currency is dead and that now all they want is financial stimulus, sugar daddy relationships, essentially. So let's just take a pause here and just, just get ourselves back. I told you guys, when we get into stories, we get into stories. <laughs> I'll go back to his message here because there's more paths to it. There's a lot more to dive into here. Yeah, there's the next, I want to get to a very tactical thing about how you actually do this now. How would it, how would it look like if you actually did it correctly? So in his message, <clears throat> in his message, he said, I couldn't afford going out and spending time with her like we used to. Stop right there. Stop right there, please. I couldn't afford going out and spending time with her like we used to. So what does that infer, my friends? That all the time they spent together, or at least a vast majority of it, the most meaningful part of it was predicated on them going out. What's the issue with this, huh? If we have acknowledged that the number one currency traded between human beings is emotions and not finance, but emotions. And he's predicated the bedrock of their relationship based on them using finance to go out. What are they missing? This is actually now where we're going to get into something a little bit, probably a little bit deeper, a little bit wider as well, both broader and deeper at the same time, which is that. I feel like there was, if I was to spend more time with these two, what I would find and uncover is that there's actually a fundamental break in the way that these two interrelate. That when these two, if I was to be just a fly on the wall out on a date with these two on a time where they were regularly spent to each other, and I was just to observe how they actually interact and what it's primarily founded upon, what would I see? What do I think I would see? I think I would see a tremendous emphasis on what they are doing and not how they are interacting. What they are involved in, not how they are involving each other. Therein lies a key, huge difference. 
You really just got to hold that. Give me four square feet. Give me four square feet. I don't get to know someone. I'll penetrate into their hearts. I'll go so deeply into their spirits to the point in which they don't know who they are and I don't know who I am. And we become one. All you need is four square feet. Please hold that. Please breathe that in. Do you need a fancy car to get into someone's heart? Do you need a fancy restaurant to break into someone's spirit? Do you need a big jet plane and a condo in the Bahamas to get someone to tell you that they love you? Or do you only need four square feet with a calm mind and a sound heart? With the will, the intent, the fire inside of your belly that says, I'm here just for you. I'm here just for you. No social media, no politics, no COVID, no lockdown, no parents, no uni. No concern for anything else but the connection that I hold between my eyes and yours right now. How your heart feels up against mine. Feeling myself inside you. Feeling you inside myself. We come to know each other for the first time. I didn't need no Ferrari for that. I didn't need to go out for that. I just needed four square feet. Yosha. Give me some goosebumps, bro. Give me some goosebumps. Just, fuck that. For just, you know when there are moments in life where your heart feels like it literally inflates? And I don't just mean like it beats, but it, it feels like the blood volume within your heart just increased by 20 to 30%. It's like, you know that feeling at the end of a workout where maybe you're doing particularly high reps. So you just do like back-to-back sets of 50 push-ups, 10 pull-ups, 50 push-ups, 10 pull-ups, and just back-to-back minimal rest. And by the end of it, you just, your shoulders, your triceps, your lats, your pecs, they're just engorged with blood. That's how my heart just felt. That's how my heart just felt when describing the organic human connection, when describing how human beings should actually and have always interrelated with each other. You know, before this world of, this grand world of microphones and cameras and going out to restaurants and going out on these cruises and doing all this shit with this fancy money, this fiat money, this crypto money, this blockchain money, this pimp daddy money, before all that existed, we had this beautiful world where there was just the waterfall, there was just the moon and the stars, there was the sand. You guys would survive day in after day out, hunt this animal, forage this berry, come together on the fire at the end of the night, dance, play, take care of the young, listen to the old, learn from the wisdom of the old, and finally rest your heads down on those pandanus leaves as you go to sleep that night, and just hold the most wholesome connection that could ever be formed between two human connections, two human beings. To hold that connection between two human beings. It's like the most fulfilling thing in the world you could describe. It's just, it's, 
it, it overloads my cognitive abilities. I feel my mind short-circuiting just even feeling that because just visualizing that and feeling that takes me to a place of why do we even have all this shit? It's like, why is all this stuff necessary? It's not necessary. My friend, bringing this back up here, because I told you, we go deep on the spiritual, we go deep on the romance, I'll make you guys fall in love with me. I will bring it back to the science and the tactics of this podcast, which is that it's not necessary. Your finance was never necessary. What was necessary was you being able to connect with her heart, being honest, upfront, direct, congruent, authentic, covering with empathy, always. Spending the time to be honest with yourself, to calm yourself, develop your frame, develop your supreme excellence as a masculine being, to be able to bring the best of yourself to her. Be that vessel. That's what she needed. That is what was necessary. You want to talk about what's necessary, what was actually required? That. That. I can hear the cynics always saying, Adam, there's so many girls just gold diggers, bruh. So many girls that just want that money, bruh. They won't give me a minute if they ain't got that money, bruh. I see all these YouTube videos. <laughs> I see all these YouTube videos of all these gold diggers, bruh. Like, first off, most of those YouTube videos are completely set up. Those ones you see with girls that look that their asses are bigger than a Mack truck and they're just walking down Hollywood Boulevard and you got a guy who's got like, he's his, his, his like rented a Superlegger or something. He's rented a uh, some kind of Audi or some kind of souped up sports car and he tries to pick her up essentially with without the car but then goes back into the supercar and then she goes, oh, but hang on. Right? M- listen, first off, most of those videos are completely set up. They're already being choreographed and crafted. Majority of them are. They're fake. But but even so, I am very much aware though that, but I'm not even talking about this, but even for the cynics, I'll still give you a bat. I'll still entertain, and I have entertained multiple times, that yes, there is a percentage of women that have forsaken their innate human desire for emotional connection first and have superseded that with the ability to be financially stimulated and that the financial currency is the number one for them. But that's not most women. It's just not. You just got to go out and meet most people. If you live in hotspots, you live in Las Vegas, and you only go to excess, you only go to particular beach day clubs, like it's, then yes, you're probably likely to meet more women of that particular subset. But if you were to expand your horizons and to meet women from Australia, from Canada, from the small town in Wales, to go down to the bloody Papua New Guinea, to go down to the South Pacific Islands in Isle of Pines and New Caledonia, to just Malaysia, Thailand, Japan, take yourself over to Eastern Europe, get yourself over to some Russia, get yourself into some of those Swedish meatballs, right? Find yourself in all these different locations. If you're even spicy enough, take a trip to Rwanda, take a trip down to, to Angola, wherever you, just anywhere that's not a hotspot of financial stimulus, just in general, in terms of the society, in terms of a place that's not predicated on lying, cheating, stealing, basically. <laughs> it just fucked party all day long where clubs and alcohol never closes. Take yourself to any place but that and what you find is that emotional currency is always number one. 9.99% out of times. 
And I'm only extrapolating based on what I've heard and read and seen. I have not once met a girl in my 10 plus years of cold social dynamics that said to me, Adam, I can't be with you because you ain't got enough money. Or if not explicitly stated that, indirectly made her decision based upon that. Now, some of you might say, but Adam, that should, is that just because you're curating and selecting for women that aren't like that? Well, the only way you could do that is by not approaching women that look super materialistic. But I regularly, on purposely, intentionally approach women that look super materialistic just to prove myself wrong. It's, it's, I didn't do it for this reason, but looking back now, I have done it just for a different reason. Because when you're coming up in the journey of cold social dynamics, one of the biggest limiting beliefs is pedestal, is the idea of rank value based on surface level materialistic uh, wrapping paper, outside appearance, external appearance. One of the biggest limiting beliefs is that uh, she just looks way too hot for me. She's way out of my league because she got high heels on, tight jeans, short little crop top, fake tits maybe. Straightened out long blonde hair, eyelashes, fingernails out to the fucking universe. <laughs> yeah, just, she's all did up is what I'm saying. And it's like, holy shit, this is a very, very attractive female. And she looks like a rich girl. She got, uh, she got that Louis. She got that Louis hanging off the side of her shoulder. She got a Frenchie down on the leash. <laughs> yeah. Intentionally. I used to be in the place where, I, where you that into your mind and you go, maybe I'm not good enough for her. Ah, go prove it to me. Whatever limiting belief you have, eh, go prove it to me. I really think people care about what's going on here. Ah, go prove it to me. Prove it. Get the data. Then I'll believe you. So, of course, with all the limiting beliefs, this is what you do. You just go hard in that direction. If you really think that these type of women are out of your league, just go prove it and then you can go live in your basement for the rest of your life. And it's okay because you settled the matter. But anyone who knows is that if you just go out and actively approach people in general, but specifically if you're targeting this particular thing of financial external appearance, what you find is that all human beings are just human beings. Women are just women. Men are just men. Underneath the exterior cloak of the Louis Vuitton and the Frenchie on the leash and the extra long eyelashes and the French nails and the fake tits, she's just a human being. She was a baby, just like you. She came out of the womb, just like you. She's susceptible and responds to emotions, just as anyone does. And so what you find is that, actually, probably have better connections with women, if we're exclusively just speaking in the day, between women that are actually a little bit more done up, because it fits within their reality. Then, of course, an attractive, confident guy is coming up to me, because I'm an attractive, confident woman. Makes sense. Actually, and I've always said this, going out and approaching people specifically in the day who don't look like they're confident in themselves. Women that haven't gone and aren't expressing their feminine energy very sexually, that are going, and what I'm, what I'm kind of being careful around here is that when I say, because you talk about, uh, it's, 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 it's a bit of a lazy term to say less valuable women. Because high value, it depends on what you place value on, of course. But if we were to just to look at, if we were to take the average 100 guys opinion on whether this woman is attractive or non-attractive girls and we were to look at that if you look at a girl who's of a hundred guys to look at it and say eh, i don't really think she's that attractive just a hundred guys would just take a general opinion it's going to be a lot harder to interact with her cold 
doesn't feel within her reality that a confident, attractive guy would come up to her. But if you were to take a hundred average guy's opinion and we said that this woman was generally attractive, she's going to be much easier to interact with. Why? She's just more receptive. Why? Fits her perception of reality that an also attractive and confident guy would come up to her. So, and that's, this is all the shit that you just learn through the process of going out and meeting people. It's like, why was I ever so scared of girls that are hot? <laughs> why was I ever so scared of an attractive woman? It's like, she's actually probably more, far, far more likely to be receptive to this. Now, of course, we're talking generalities. We're talking generalities. Everyone's got their own emotional set point. A different woman on a different day could respond differently to you. So don't, don't now take this as just gospel and like, okay, that's the thing for life. It's like, no, if you were to go out for 10 plus years though, now you could get some real perspective. So where are we at with this? We went into some deep romance. Yes, we did. But we did. But then oh, I was touching on the cynics of that. Yes, gold diggers exist. Yes, they do. But it's far and few between. Far and few between. I have girlfriends that are gold diggers that are in sugar daddy relationships. They're special breeds. Often a lot of them are either sex workers or use their bodies as their commodities. So models, etc. Instagram models, that type of stuff. Actually, something you guys might find interesting is that a girl that I know who was in a sugar daddy relationship has always been in sugar daddy relationships, just got out of one. And they were together for like at least her previous sugar daddy she was with for like, I'll say five years maybe, four or five years, maybe even longer. This sugar daddy she was probably with for about three years, I would say. But she's like a professional. She's a professional sugar baby. It's uh, quite impressive to me. <laughs> like it's impressive how effective she is at navigating life by using her sexuality as her occupation. And she's not even a sex worker. She used to be a model. She doesn't model anymore. She's like a, she's a forever uni student. You know what I'm saying? The forever uni students, the ones that never graduate, never go into the workforce, they just keep finding another way to do another grad of some kind, <laughs> whether it's the, another post, another under, another whatever, <laughs> whatever grad it is, it's just another thing. So I, anyway, anyways, but just, it's interesting to me, just interesting anecdote. So let's move back to these messages here. Let's get back on track here. Hmm. So we went really hard on what it means to on his fundamental flaw in thinking that about where, where that oh you go right back up this bamboo scaffold right here, where the last major or this major chunk, if you can think about it, we just summed up, was the chunk of how do these two actually interrelate with each other? How do they interact when they're in person? What's the emphasis on? And it's, I'm going to be honest with you guys, it's not all his fault. This is, a, this is a two-way street, which is why I said it was going to get a little bit broader as well. We're going to be going very, very hard on him, but it's also on her to communicate to him and not just accept that his dependence on financial stimulus instead of emotional stimulus is okay. The feminine's role is to pass judgment and feedback on the masculine's execution and behavior. If the feminine does not soundly, accurately, timely communicate to the masculine that, hey, you're fucking up here. I'm not happy with this. This is not okay. Then she cannot simultaneously claim foul play and or claim dismay for that same behavior if she was never willing to call it out. If she was just happy to let it slide that, okay, he's going to pay for everything. He's going to take me out. Our relationship's going to be founded upon the financial currency transition and transference of that. 
and not the emotional, then that she has to take at least 50% of the responsibility for that. So I'll give you a point there, my friend. It's not, even though, of course, you're the one who sent me the message, so I'm going just as hard, I'm going pretty hard on you, but if I had both of you in the room right here, that's what I'd be saying to her as well, is that you made a big mistake. She made a big mistake by not calling you out for this sooner, by letting it get to this place. So it's like you both fucked up, and that's the journey of life. That's, that's the way it goes. That's the way relationship goes. It's just one process of learning. You know, Damon Johns once said something to the effect of, life is just a series of mentors. And the way that I feel about that in the relationship space is that relationships are just a series of mentors. Relationships are just a process in which that you learn, you grow, you fuck up, you grow again. And it's just this constant cyclical process of deepening your roots, getting uprooted, planting new seeds, and just over and over. Getting your reps, getting your reps. And in time, you never stop making mistakes. The mistakes just get better. <laughs> the mistakes just get better and you get better at making them. <laughs> and also not making other ones in the past, hopefully. <sighs> For those of you wondering, what did I mean by the mistakes get better? As in, they get more nuanced, more subtle, because they get they become one percenters. Instead of making 10% mistakes, which is what this guy has done, this guy has made one of the most grandest fundamental mistakes in between the, the mislinking of financial currency and emotional currency traded between human beings. That's a giant chunk of a mistake. That's a huge 10% mistake. But in time, as you get more experience through relationships and through life, hopefully you're not making such grand mistakes and that your mistakes are only getting thinner, smaller, and more subtle. That they're just they're things that I slipped up. They're rather they're slip ups rather than absolute rock slides. You know, instead of an entire volcano erupting, it's like a little bit of a house fire got out of control. You see what I'm saying here? Very different the, the scale of mistake is what I'm talking about there. As you get more experienced, that's what I mean by mistakes getting better. Instead of the mistake of a volcano the mistake of a house fire. Neither's good. I don't want a volcano or a house fire, but that is the nature of life. You've got to cause fires. And so you've got to learn how to put them out. All right, let's move back here. I love that analogy. We can run all day with that analogy. Okay, let's, uh, let's, go, back, let's go back to his message here because there's some other things I want to get. And once we get through his message, I do want to step back out to the general idea of expressing love. I'm keeping that quite firm in my mind here. Listen, guys, I'm operating today. I'm operating I am your operator today. The fuck? It's just some Yahoo outside. You guys probably couldn't hear that, but some Yahoo is just Yahoo. Anyways, uh, the sun's out is all I was trying to say there. So let's move on. Okay, so I'm going back to his message here because I know there was other, there's a lot of other red flags in his message. Okay, so he went on to say very similar things to the effect of that we had just mentioned on, but maybe we might address this a little bit deeper. Let me just read it out to see if there's something we haven't touched here. But he felt like that part of the reason why he couldn't tell her about the money issues is that because he didn't feel like, he didn't want her to feel like she couldn't ask him for help or depend on him and that he would not be good enough for her. Okay, let's talk about this. Now we're going to get into some deeper ideas. This is where we're now starting to sense misconceptions of value. In this part of the podcast, what we can now start to dive into is that X, just because you're having issues financially, 
doesn't mean that you don't have value to offer her as a masculine being and as a man in life. Money can be made and lost in a second, especially if you're in the cryptocurrency market. The market drops and goes up and down and 10% in a day. You can, if you got 100K in Bitcoin and it drops down by 10% that day, shit, it goes $10,000. It's like, that, that happens in one day. You, money can be made and lost, whether you're dealing in fiat currency, whether you're dealing in crypto, whether you're dealing in bloody oils and coal, gold and silver, whatever you're invested in. You know, it's, it can all be made and lost. Very, I'll give you an example here. Maybe, oh, sure, am I done? Do I want to go too deep into this? Otherwise, we're going to get to a finance section here, like an actual finance section. Just to give you an example, I'll give you this example. I won't go too deep into it. I'm not going to mention his name, so I'm sure he'll be fine with me mentioning this. So you won't have, he won't even, no one will even know who he is. But one of my mates, uh, I think it was earlier this year when we had the dip in the cryptocurrency around late April. I think it was late April, early June. There was a big, there's a big dip and a big, quite a big correction in the crypto market. And he lost about half of his principal, which was about $500,000. He had just over, I think he had one, one mil, 1.2 million, and then he lost about 500, 500 to 600,000, something like that. About half of his principal during that correction. Money can be made and lost in an instant. That happened only with only a couple, like a week or a couple short weeks that that happened. If not that, that's probably being too generous, actually. It's probably even less than that. Within the space of a few days, all that money was lost. And a lot of other people lost that same money as well. A lot of people have lost money there. Go back to 2018. We'll go back to the COVID, the COVID crash in the in the crypto crypto space and markets in general. Money can be made and lost. So this is what I'm saying. The reason why I brought this up, X, is that if you're saying that your number one value as a man now, it's not even that your ability to be able to interact with people outside of you. But what you're telling me here is that your number one perception of who you think you are and your ability to convey and to give value to other people is based on your financial stability. You're going to have a very tumultuous life. I'm not here to tell you how to live. I'm not tell you I'm not here to tell you what to place your value metrics on. What I am here to tell you is exactly what that leads to though. What you choose, you choose an external path. You choose an external commodity to base your value upon. You are subject to the power outside of you, to the winds of the world outside of you. Crypto market goes up by 10% today. Shit, feeling good. Crashes by 30% tomorrow. Fuck. Holy shit. Whole entire world crashes. Why? Because your entire world is made up of that one particular currency of what you thought your value was. So it's, it is the double-edged sword. And in my view, it's more than just a double-edged sword. It's a sword of no handle. You're just holding a bare blade. Either way, it's going to hurt. That's what I mean by a sword of no blade. I mentioned it before. Either way, it's going to hurt no matter how you hold it. If you place your external value metric as in this is how, let me say it again. If you place your number one value as a man on your financial stability, it is essentially akin to holding a blade with no handle. Because yes, you will make cuts in one direction, but at the same time, you're cutting yourself. You are setting yourself up for pain. You're killing yourself at the same time. Because simultaneously, when you place all your dependence on external value, and that's how you communicate with other human beings, you are simultaneously not developing internal value, value that lasts internally and infinitely for the rest of your life.
the eternal value of a strong frame, centered energy, grounded presence, the ability to interact with human beings in a direct, congruent, authentic way, always covered with empathy, having that hierarchy of life, purpose, physical, mental, social development, all transcended by your inner knowing of your true nature, up in the inner garden. You're not developing all of that if you are simultaneously focused on developing external value only and that that is the number one primary for you. It's a blade that has no handle. No doubt, no doubt you will, no doubt you will bring home some animals. You will kill something with a sword that has no handle. It does have an end that does point in one direction that you can thrust. You can thrust You will see some result, I do not deny that, from having placed all your focus on external validation. I do not deny that. But was it worth cutting your own hand and bleeding out eventually because of it? Stay in that game long enough, X. You will bleed out. Hold a blade with no handle for long enough. You will bleed out. It's just a matter of how hold you tighten it. How sorry, it's just a matter of how tight you're holding it. It's just a matter of how tight you're holding that blade. People, the, the tighter you hold that external blade, that blade of no handle, the faster you're going to bleed out. Some people last a few years. Some people last a couple days. Some people last a few decades. It's not uncommon to hear of people committing suicide in their 60s, 70s, a little bit later on after having climbed the mountain of financial success only to realize that they lost themselves on the way up. It's not uncommon. It's not a surprise. You're just seeing a micro flash up of it now. You're young, X. You're young. You're spry. You're loose. Not too loose, though, but you're loose. And what that is to say is that you're still green. You're still moldable. You're still plastic. I can still do things with you. You can still do things to affect the direction of your life without having to upheave certain mindsets and actions. It's, you don't, you're not necessarily so far gone that you require an absolute upheaval. And what would one of those upheavals look like? It would look like a transcendental DMT experience in which that you need to go through a, if not in the deep jungles of the Amazon with ayahuasca, if, a, if not just in a clinical setting up in New York and having to go through treatment using dimethyltryptamine, that, yeah, yeah, got it, using the DMT to completely upheave your perception of reality. You're not quite there yet. But give yourself another 20, 30, 40 years of thinking that my external value, sorry, that my value is based upon the external and that my ability to be a man and that the only way to have a woman depend on me is if I'm financially stable. And if I'm not, I'm just not going to let her in. I'm just not going to let her know about that, which of course she does know just on a subconscious level, you will eventually require an upheaval. Either you will require an extinction. It's just a matter of whether the, who the extinction comes from and when you choose to extinct. There will need to be a death of that part of your ego though at some point in your life. I'm just lucky that I got you now. I'm lucky that I got you now. I'm having this conversation with you now. This conversation is much easier when you're in your 20s to 30s than this conversation when you're in your 60s to 70s. You know, at that point, 60 to 70 is good luck trying to change at that point. 
you know, to the outliers that do, all the power, all the power. But for the most part, when people get in their ways, they get in their ways. You know, the road does not get easier to mold over time. The path does not get easier to change. Once things are set, things are set, and that is the way human beings are, unless you are willing to entertain some tremendous upheaval. So, so that's, that's, that's one part of his message I want to tack up, and we summarize that right now. He can choose to focus. He can choose to continue with this mindset of that. He didn't. I don't want her to feel like I'm not good enough for her if I don't have money. I don't want to feel like that she can't depend on me if I don't have money. You know, keep, carry on, please, please do, please carry on and move forward with that mindset. If you want to go through every relationship in life feeling like you have a sickness in your stomach, that you feel like you are always on a wheel. This never-ending turning wheel that you must always keep pace with. And the wheel is always turned at the pace of financial stimulation, of a certain benchmark of must have this much money at this much time to be able to do these things, to be able to show her that I love her because I have this money. And this is what segues us into the next part of the podcast. Carry on if that's the way you want to live. But if you don't want to live that way, you need to put your focus on developing internal value. And... I will balance this conversation by saying this. For those who are cynical and think, but hey, you can't just be an absolute bum. You can't just be this homeless bum and have a girl have a girl love you. It's like, hang on, shut the mutt there. Have you been to a third world country? Have you been to places where it's village life? Have you been to the mountains of Nagano in Japan? Have you been to the rice fields in Vietnam? Have you been down to the palm trees in the South Pacific Islands in tiny little French Caledonian Islands in which that there's almost no electricity? There's no running water. It's village life. It's mountain life. And have you seen how people still form relationships without the old day, everyday hype beast, without the financial stimulation? Have you seen this? I doubt so. I doubt it. This is the worldliness I talked about in last week's podcast. All you have to do is go to the slums somewhere in some foreign country of a foreign language and see a totally different way of life to realize that, oh, the Mercedes was not necessary. Ah, ah, the, the, what's, what do you guys call it in the US? The 401k wasn't necessary. In Australia, your self-managed super fund wasn't necessary. <laughs> Yes, MSF. Self-managed super. Yeah, SMSF. Yeah, got it right. Good. Ah, the investment farm in Tasmania wasn't necessary. Actually, it is possible to live and form deep relationships with human beings without financial stability or currency. It's it's a mind-blowing concept. I know. I know. It, it, I'm being sarcastic here, but of course, it was a mind-blower when I first saw it. The first time I really experienced poverty was in Malaysia, actually, in Kuala Lumpur. And also then we went to Kwantan after that. And then, you know, Kwantan's even more village life. But you got village life in Kwantan, but then you've got, you got the slums in Malaysia. And there's just this gigantic contrast. This was 10 years ago. This is back when I was in, no, way more than 10 years. This is almost 20 years ago. This was actually 20 years ago. When I was, okay, not exactly 20 years, but when I was about 12 or 13. No, I was 13. So not 20 years ago, about 14 years ago, something like that. What if it is? I was went to Malaysia, and 
at that time, you would be in the absolute heart of Kuala Lumpur and you'd see the, the Petronas tw- towers, these giant towers, and all these Ferraris getting around. And it's so, it's so, so plush. It's so plush up in the city. Just a lot of fake tits and fake cars. You know, that's what you're seeing up here. But then all you would have to do is just look over your balcony to see the slums in certain areas. You take a five-minute cab ride, and now you're in the slums. And this is like legitimate Ashtonojo slums, where it's like wooden w- w- uh, rickets, just shacks. It's shack land. It's just it's things made out of wood poorly put together, and you'd be scarce to find a lightning pole, to find a light pole somewhere. You know, it's, it's just absolute poverty. People just in the mud, just squatting in the mud. But I still saw smiles. I still saw smiles. I still saw the essence of human nature and the currency being traded of emotional connection. Emotions. So, 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 so we'll wrap up this part on what value is. And people have asked me this before. What is value? What is value? To me, it broke it down into two forms. As you know, external, internal. The one that I want to develop is internal always. Does that mean I don't put any focus on developing external? Of course not. I live in the world of 10,000 things, which means to interact with the world of egos and the world of the cities, which means that, yes, we are playing this game, this governmental state-enforced game of which that we must pay taxes and that we must must keep up. We must keep up in order to survive. That is the game of 21st century, which must be played. So I will play it to the best of my abilities, but I will not forsake the true nature of reality, which is my internal development, my inner knowing of what real life is, which is always founded upon intrinsic values that can never be taken away from you. That's what value is. That's what true value is. True value cannot be taken away. It's eternal. It's inexhaustible. It's undeniable. If you meet someone who is grounded, who is loving, who is present, that is undeniable. Now, is it a lot easier to be more grounded, more present, and more loving if you actually have a roof over your head, that you have food to eat, that you're not worried about someone slitting your throat in the night because you live in a war-torn country, it's arguable. I lean towards yes, but it is arguable. I lean towards yes, but you could argue in the opposite and I would hear that argument as well. Here's what I'll say to finish that. Here's what I'll say. What do you mean it's arguable, Adam? Seems like a rhetorical question. No, there is arguable because of one Zen proverb and one Zen quote that I once heard that has stayed with me to this day, which is this. The only Zen to be found atop of mountains is the Zen that you bring up there. The only Zen to be found atop of mountains is the Zen that you bring up there. Wherever you are is wherever you are. If you're not at peace in the Ferrari, in the mansion with the fake tits, then you will not be at peace. Simultaneously, you will not be at peace on the ocean, in the mountains, in the temple. I do not deny human beings. We have a hierarchy of needs. Maslow described this quite well. Certainly makes it easier. But I also believe that human beings have the ability to transcend those biological DNA hardwired needs and that we can reach levels of transcendence and consciousness that allows us to, for example, fast for extreme periods of time. 
to deny the materialistic wants and desires of this world. We have that capacity. has been proven and shown. There is a Buddhist monk, famous in Japan. I cannot remember his name at this time, but you can go visit him in his resting place. Now, his resting place is not a coffin, and his resting place is not a tombstone in the ground. It is a giant urn. He decided to end his life by effectively locking himself in a life-sized urn and fasting for the rest of his life. That was the way he decided to to finish out his days. I'm not sure how many days he lasted. I think the number 40 rings a bell in my mind. I could definitely be wrong about that. If I had to guess between 2040, I think it was close to 40 though. And you can actually go visit that urn. And I think they have the skeleton on display as well. I haven't been to see it physically, but Chris from Chris Chris Broad from abroad in Japan has done a video on it uh, on great 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 channel. If you're interested in Japan, uh, abroad in Japan, the number one Japanese travel YouTube channel for sure. I've been following him for years. is brilliant. He's a brilliant guy, and he makes brilliant videos. Particularly, check out his video on Hiroshima and the recovery from the tsunami. Uh, not just Hiroshima. No, not Hiroshima, sorry. Check out his video on the recovery from the tsunami. The 2004 tsunami, was it? But the the big one. The big one that just fucked everything up. Check out that one. That was It's an amazing uh, short film that he made. But anyways, his channel is fantastic anyway. My friends, the postie is here. Just give me one second and I'll be back. Alrighty, my friends, we are back in this game. That was just the postie delivering. So... As I was saying, Chris Board, Japan, Japan, yep, okay. So check that out. Anyways, that was that was the it was a Buddhist monk who decided to end his life by shelling himself away into an urn that he was not able to get out of. It was like lockdown. And he just decided to end his life that way. He transcended his need for food. He transcended his need uh, for all the other worldly desires and reached what he probably believed, a state of supreme and absolute enlightenment. That's why I say I can argue against. I can say there's why there's arguments for and against whether it's easier or harder to maintain your Zen, your peace, regardless of worldly needs and materialistic comforts. Okay. So we've covered the external and internal value part of this podcast. Yosha, I think we've done a good job on that. Don't think we need any more on that. And then there's just one, I think there's just one more part of this. No, there's probably two more parts. No, actually, what am I talking about? There's two more parts of his message, and then I want to go out big. Then we're going to go out real hard on expressing love. That we might just organically segue into it though. Okay, okay, okay. Ah, Tanoshimi des. Having funny. So when he then, he went on to say into his message that she, he mentioned this very interesting detail that she has older male friends who are stably financially. Who, let me say that again. She has older male friends with stable income who have offered and helped with lending her money. And she expressed that these friends and friends in general just seem to care about her more than this guy does. So it's the part about this, these older friends, older male friends specifically, that offered to lend her money that are stably, that are financially stable. I just want to touch on this for a second as to me speaking one-to-one of X is why do you care? 
Why do you give a fuck about whether her friends are making 100K, 300K a year or whether she has a friend that's working for $15 an hour down at Macca's? Why does that matter? Why should that interrupt the relationship between you and her? Why is that something that plays on you? And we all know why. Because you have a deep, deep complex about what it means to bring value to your sexual feminine partner. And it's financially grounded in the financials. It's, sorry, it's grounded within the financials. So it makes sense that, of course, this, pla- I think it's not a, uh, it's not a, now that we've unpacked your mindset, it's not a, it just makes sense. There's no confusion here. It's not a surprise that you're worried about what her older male friends are able to do for her. But you know what? You know who isn't? Her. She's not worried about whether she has this friend or that friend that can lend her money. What she's worried about is why you're not real with her. Why you weren't able to express yourself openly, honestly, direct, congruent, and authentically. That's what she's most concerned with. Yeah, she would like to know as well that you're doing okay, but if not, you know, she would also like to know if not, so that she could possibly support you. I don't know that, and I don't mean that financially. I mean that she says she could support you as a human being. Emotionally. Why? Because emotions have a number one transfer. Number one currency. It's that you're so concerned about, it seems to me, that you're so concerned about everything else but her. You're concerned about money, concerned about your money, concerned about what other money people have, but what about her? What about you and her? Why, why is there such little concern in your message for the nature of your connection with each other. All you've done in this message is to describe to me that she's just not happy with it. But you've offered no explanation. And I know this is just DMs. It's not a full conversation that I've had with you. But I can always gleam. I can gleam a lot. I've been doing this for a long time. I know where your subconscious mind is at, even if you don't. Even if you're not aware. Even if you consciously have little fish hooks in the water every now and again. I know which fish you're looking for. I understand totally and in totality that you have given far less weight to the relationship of emotions between you and her. Her older friends and what they their net worths are mean very little to her in relation to her relationship with you. She's not sitting there at night going, fuck, I wish X was just as rich as fucking Jeffrey. Jeffrey's got the Ferrari. Jeffrey's got the Audi. Jeffrey's got the penthouse up in South Beach. Why doesn't my guy have that? You know, it's that's not what she's thinking. It's not what she's thinking. And if she ever reached a point in which that was what she was thinking, that would only be a conscious surface level manifestation covering up a much deeper lack need on the subconscious level for what she is not getting emotionally. We're in that point right there. Moving on to the next part of his message. He finishes by saying, I was trying my best to at least cover the expenses of us meeting and spending a good time with each other, which I feel like it burned me and drained me. And that's why she feel, and that's why she can't feel the love and connection from me when we meet. All right, that sums it all up, doesn't it? So, Man, it's painful to listen to that. It's just painful. It's painful because 
it's such a descension from what a relationship should be. The way that you've said, I was doing my best to cover the expenses of us meeting. Why should there be any expense? Unless you two live across the world from each other, which I highly doubt because we are in the COVID life right now, in which that you can't be traveling to meet each other. But even so, let's say that you guys did have a long distance relationship and that you had to arrange for Airbnbs and flights to be able to see each other. It should still, it, it should still never be something that you have to cover for, as in, this is all on me. But then even if we are, because I don't know his full scenario, I don't know if they live near each other. I'm assuming they do. But let's just say they don't and they are doing long distance. Well, it's like human beings were never designed for long distance relationships. In what evolutionary scenario would two human beings find themselves in a long distance relationship? The tribe moves with the tribe. The tribe lives with the tribe. The only time you find yourself in distance from the tribe was if you got lost or if you got exiled and that you were forcibly distanced from the tribe because you had lied, cheated, and stealed your way through to some fuckery. Long distance would not have existed in any evolutionary scenario which is most of our human development. Yet we, for some reason, feel that this is an uh, acceptable form of relationship in 21st society. Now, I will give a bat to those of you that say, but Adam, what about the Skype? What about a WhatsApp? What about a Snapchat? Well, okay, you can form a pseudo-relationship through these online communications, and it can ma- help with maintenance. It can help with stemming the void in which that there is a promised land and a promised date of which that you two will finish the LDR, long-distance relationship, and will come into a close proximity relationship, I will give merit to that. That's merit there. But to subsist, exist, persist with a relationship that is not within close proximity makes all of no sense. You are asking for infidelity. You are asking for a betrayal of yourself, of what you desire on an emotional, sexual, physical, spiritual, connected level. Human beings need to feel each other. Human beings need to see each other eye to eye. Beat to beat. So, I just wanted to cover for that in case he was in an LDR. Now, let's throw that out the window because I actually don't think that's what's happening. Well, not throw it out the window. Let's just put that up on the shelf because I feel like that's already done. It's unlikely that that's the scenario, but even if it was, I've covered my base. And it's good for you guys to know about as well. Coming back to it, let's consider that they are in a close... Let's move forward as if they are in a proximal relationship. Close proximity. There shouldn't be expenses. That's what I'm saying. You're nine months into the relationship. What kind of relationship do you have where you get drained... In your words, you get drained and burned. It burned you. It drained you from not being able to meet these financial expenditures and to be able to provide for that to the point where you say, that's why she can't feel love and connection from me. That's what you said. 
word for word. I was trying my best at least cover the expenses of us meeting and spending a good time with each other, which I feel like it burned me and drained me, and that's why she can't feel the love and connection for me when we meet. Like that. Why she can't feel the love and connection for me when we meet. The reason why she can't feel the love and connection from you when you meet is because she can't feel the love and connection from you. Full stop. Has nothing to do with the finance. Now you being burned and drained as a result of you being so concerned about the finance, is that is that what you're trying to say? That that's what's blocking you from being able to communicate love and connection? In a roundabout way, yes, I can see that. But, 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 is that what you're actually saying? We need to go through this. In his words, I was trying my best to at least cover the expenses of us meeting and spending a good time with each other. And we've already covered this in the podcast, but that just angers me even more, which is why is a good time predicated on you spending money? Why can't, why haven't you developed the ability of a strong masculine being to be able to interact with her in four square feet with nothing at all? Just eye to eye, heart to heart. Why isn't that your number one currency of emotion transfer between you two? Why is a good time predicated on the finance? I know we've already gone hard on this, but it, it just, it can't be said enough. It actually cannot be said enough. And then he says that it feels, which he feels like him, that, that burden, that self-imposed burden of having to cover these expenses to have a good time with her, that's burned him out and drained him. And that's why she can't feel the love and connection. Yes and no. In a roundabout way, I agree with him. In a roundabout way, but not in a direct way. In a direct way, because what he's essentially trying to describe there is that he's excusing himself from a poor mindset. He's giving himself an excuse for a bullshit way of interacting with human beings. The core of it, the direct reason why she can't feel and love from him is because he hasn't developed the ability to recognize emotions first and cultivate an emotional connection first. That's the real issue. He's rationalizing and circumnavigating around that to say that, oh, it's because I didn't have the finances, I didn't have the money, aka if I did have the money and if I was financially stable, she then she would be able to feel the love and connection from me. No, 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 no. No, no, no. And listen, X, I hope you're here in this podcast getting this. I hope that you've come to this realization now and you're going, oh, fuck, shit. I didn't see that, now I see that. But I call it out for what it is. I'm, not, I'm never going to let this slide. Even if you think you've got it now, you need to hear this. You need to feel this on a deep referential level to the point. Of, and listen, this is just you listening to me. You need to go away on your own. After this conversation that you've listened to, you need to go on your own and you need to have deep meditation, deep visualization on what it means to have a optimal intended experience with another human being that is not founded upon financial currency, but is founded upon emotional currency and the mutual exchange of and the reciprocal exchange of, and the loving exchange of. She can't feel the, that's why she can't feel the love and connection. She can't feel the love and connection because you were never willing to give her love and connection. You sullied the waters with your need, insatiable need, to win her over with your finances. I hope that hurts. It hurts even saying that. It's rubbish. It's just absolute rubbish that a human being would find himself in a position of treating another human being in that way. 
coming up in high school, there was a particular, a couple guys I knew who did this. There was two guys I knew particularly. Who thought money was the key to her heart. They were the Prince Ali's. They were the street rats. You guys might enjoy this. I think you'll enjoy this. Listen, we just got pretty intense there. Got pretty uh, emotional there. I think I kept a good lid on it. As in, I didn't let it get out of control. I'm pretty level-headed. I'll give you guys a story. You know why I love Disney so much? Or at least why I love certain lessons from Disney and why I referenced the Prince Ali and the Aladdin story. So intricately before like he's like well adam's seems like adam's given a lot of thought to this before yeah i used the aladdin analogy quite some bit one of the reasons why with the aladdin story is that i actually lived that story i've been through that as in 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 primary school particularly i'll give you guys a story i've never discussed this story of the podcast before here we go so for those of you that have been the longest of the long time listeners of the Boldojo podcast you would have heard me reference my monogamous relationships. Three very deep ones, by three very deep ones. One when I was 20 to 22, one where I was 16 to 17, and one where I was 12 to 13. The first one in primary school, the 12 to 13 one, I've mentioned in previous podcasts why that ended very poorly and why I was actually, is the only heartbreak I've ever experienced. Is the only time where I actually where I was physically and emotionally, in the acute term, distraught, where I was like, uh, it's actually the only time a, is it, well, I've only had three deep monogamous relationships, all the rest of my relationships have been open and free casual relationships, in which that there's not really, you don't really have breakups in open and free relationships. Open and free relationships end as a result of their own volition, they they either die off because the energy dies off and you two have decided to go do other things in life or one of you decides that you've got to fo- double down on one person, focus in on one person and that you can't be with the other person anymore. But because it's founded upon such openness and directness and honesty with each other, there's never any bad blood when an relation- open and free relationship breaks up if you set it up correctly using the correct principles and T's and C's that I discuss in my many, many pieces of content on it, but if you were looking for it, the How to Set Up Casual Relationships, that's the title of it. It's a social Q&A. Just go over timestamps. You can find the principles and the timestamps. If it's set up correctly, is what I'm saying, there's never really a breakup. It's never really, there's no heartbreak. And in my other monogamous relationships that where it ended, where they did, where they had to end, there was no heartbreak either. We ended it on pretty good terms particularly the one from 20 to 22, my last monogamous. But getting back to it, the one when I was 13 ended in fucking fireworks. Absolute volcano. However, that's not why I'm bringing up the story. I'm just saying that that's the story I'm talking about because some of you may have referenced that. It might be jogging some of your minds. Now, talking about living the Aladdin. When I was in year, I think it was probably year six, it was year six to year seven. It was really year seven, the final year of primary school. So if it's like 12 to 13, there was, you know, I went to a really affluent primary school, not a private primary school, still public, but it was probably the most affluent primary, public primary school. And uh, I'm not going to mention names here. I'm be careful with names here. She knows who she is, of course, but the other guy who I'm going to mention, I don't want don't to throw him under the bus. I'm sure he's changed since then. In... 
throughout throughout primary school, these two were always the two, right? And this girl and this guy, they were always kind of the power couple, if you would say it. I think they were together since year five, I think, maybe even a little bit longer. No, I think it was year five they got together, if not year six. Year five or year six, they spent at least a year or two together before I started to find myself in deep interest with this girl. He was he was the superstar kid, right? He was the shredded kid who had a full six pack. He had the uh, uh, nah, it's been a long time. I could say this. He had the dusty blonde hair. He had that surfer look. He he was he was athletic. He was fast. He was a showman. He was, uh, he was charismatic. He was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> How many times those things come together, huh? Uh, <laughs> not to say that all surfer-looking blonde athletic dudes are dicks, but of course not. I've met some very good guys that are of that description. But this guy had a gigantic, gigantic inflamed ego, for sure, because all the girls loved him. All the girls loved him, the hottest girls across our primary school, and there are a lot of very attractive girls that went to my primary school. Like top level in the state type attractive girls that went to my primary school. And so a lot of them, he was always in, he always had had a girl with him, always had a girl with him. This was this guy. Remember, we're young, but at that time, like obviously looking back, it's like, Jesus, you guys were just babies. But, But at the time, you guys feel like you're adults because you're the oldest you've ever been. This is the perception of time, the game of time, the illusion of time. So- Anyways, that's the guy that I'm painting. Uh, he's just the number one most popular guy. Basically, everyone wants to be friends with him. All the girls want to be with him. That type of thing. But after he got done with being with a couple of the really kind of superficial popular girls, there was that that uh, that gem, that diamond in the sky, so to speak, that pearl in the ocean of a girl who hasn't allowed her ego to overcome her. While she is externally beautiful, while she's she's physically very attractive, and all the other guys definitely want to be of her, it somehow has not infected her. It has not infected her way of being yet. So she is still wholesome. She's still grounded in herself. She is tempered. She is humble. She's just a good person to be around. You just want to spend time with her. You don't feel like you have to be someone around her because she's just being her. And as we always go back to my friends, the strongest frame always wins. If she can just be her, you can just be you. And it goes both ways. If you can't be you and she can be her, well, then it becomes a battle of who's going to be more extreme on what end. If I can't be me more than she can be more her herself, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to win out in terms of making this feel bad. But if she can be herself more than I can't be myself, eventually I'm going to warm up to her. Strongest friend wins. Or I'll warm up to myself becoming myself. Anyways, we're doing, we're playing, it's not actually word games. Like I'm, there's actual real definition. If you were to just rewind what I said, it would make sense if you go through it piece by piece. But it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that at a certain point, once this, what are we going to, what, what kind of name can we give to this guy? Call him Jake. It's not his name. I'm just calling him Jake. The surf, the blonde surfer dude. Just call him Jake. 
once he had had a couple of relationships with a couple of really super hot, attractive girls, but very superficial, nothing like this girl. Girls that you just, I personally wouldn't want to, to hang around much. Like, yes, very pretty to look at. You want to kiss them. But uh, I wouldn't spend an afternoon with them, you know. I wouldn't want to anyway. Like, they couldn't bounce a basketball for shit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they're just the dolly girls. But then he found himself some interest in this other girl. Now, I'm not going to use her name. We'll just call her Jasmine. Perfect. We'll call her Jasmine. He found interest in Jasmine. And Jasmine had always kind of been in that social group of similar girls, girls that were just normal girls. They weren't dolly girls. They weren't playing popularity games. But as as she started to flower into her own beauty, she started to find herself getting more involved with the popular kids. So you see very typical kind of diamonds in the rough, pearls in the ocean that don't know that they are. They can find themselves starting to get around the other pearls and get themselves into that certain crowd. They, they switch crowds, they jump crowds. And that's what happened with this Jasmine girl. Started hanging around with the popular kids, going to house parties and the, and the gaths with the popular kids. And so that's where these two, Jake and Jasmine, found themselves, the surfer dude, surfer ego dude, and this, this, this uh, uh, undiscovered gem, this undiscovered pearl, found themselves together and she fell in love with the surfer guy. Now, what's little old Adam doing at this time? I had general interests in other girls and girls that, uh, and that also had interest in me as well. I had, you know, you have those like two week relationships in that, when you're that young. Had a few of those. I wouldn't consider them proper relationships though. Yeah, you can't go out or anything. You have a play date here or there. That's it. You have a cheeky kiss and that's it. And everyone freaks out because <laughs> you're just that young. But I think it was it was really at the beginning of year seven, I, which is the final year of primary school before you go to high school. In year six, I know for sure that Jake and Jasmine had been together the entire year. They were, And by the way, when they got together, they were now the power couple. They were now, everyone knows that, oh, it's, it's Jake and Jasmine. It's like, it's almost as if the school's social dynamics, particularly in the, that year level, revolves around them. Everyone just follows what they do because they're the social leaders, so to speak. What was amazing, though, was that Jasmine never fully bought into it. She never got fully corrupted or infected by that, by that, glam, by that glam. She never got so glammed up and so glazed up to buy into her own awesomeness, not in the way the other kids did. I'm just filtering my memory or searching my memory to find out when our connection began. Because I remember we weren't in the same class in year six. And we weren't in the same class in year seven either. But something fundamentally changed in the final year of primary school going into that year. And I believe it was this. We had been in the same year in year three. But you know, that's when you're really babies. Like there, were, there wasn't much of a connection there. That was when I just moved to the state as well. But there was a girl who lived up the street from me who was best friends with Jasmine. And I started to become started to become really good friends with that girl. Uh, I'm not going to use her real name either. Let's just call her call her call her Jenna. Then call her Jenna. Use a lot of J's today. Call her Jenna. 
Oh, maybe that's maybe that's too close then to call Sarah then to Sarah because to Jenna and Jasmine are too close. You just get confused. Okay, so Sarah lived up the street from me. She was best friends with Jasmine, and I used to walk to school every morning with Sarah because it was within walking distance. We only lived straight away from each other, and we just really just there, there wasn't a lot of sexual connection between us two, but we found like a good friendship. Uh, it turned out later on that she did actually develop a romantic connection for me, but I didn't reciprocate it. Because I, this and this is how. Now it's all coming back. In year seven, and it was when it became year seven is when we started uh, hanging out more and more. And I, I think it was just on one walk in the morning. One walk in the morning, I rocked up and we met at that middle place in the street. I said, I meet you halfway in the street. We'll walk to school. And she said, oh, by the way, she texted me that morning. By the way, we've got to pick up my friend Jasmine on the way. We're going to just go, we'll just swing by her house. I remember that was really the first inception. It's amazing that this memory's coming back to me because I could see it. And so it was like that first walk where on the way to school that morning in our final year, it's probably at the beginning of the year, where we were walking down to school, but me and Sarah went by Jasmine's house to get her because they were best friends. And so it was just me and these two girls walking to school together. And it was the first time I ever really spent outside of school time even though we're on the way to school it was the first kind of intimate kind of you know where you could really have a conversation with her because we weren't in the same classes together uh before that and you know she just lit me up she absolutely lit me up there's i i think i probably just fell in love for, for that first time i ever saw her really it was the first time i had that first conversation i just knew it it's like i think because my previous my previous conception of her was that she was with the popular kids, so she must be one of them. But I didn't wasn't able to confirm that she hadn't been infected or confounded by that and captured by that until I had spent some real time with her. And just on a short walk, I realized, oh, this girl is so cool to hang out with. Like, it's not just that she's beautiful, but she's cool to hang out with as well. She's not all up about herself. And so from that point on, by the way, my best friend of the time, shout out to Adam, he was also in love with her, but he had been in love with her for a long time, like for a really long time. And he hated Jake. He hated the girl that she was actually dating, the guy the guy that she was actually dating, the surfer, the surfer dude. Listen, the surfer dude had a lot of guys who did not like him. Had a lot of guys that did like him, but a lot of guys that didn't. The guys that did like him more so just wanted to like him because they just wanted to be seen. They wanted to be in the it crowd. Not because necessarily I think they were best friends with him. You know, okay, so, 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 from that point on, I just developed a stronger and stronger connection for, we, you know, back in those days when you're 12, 13 years old, it's MSN Messenger. So that's what everyone does. Once you form a connection, it's not Facebook. Facebook doesn't exist at this time. Instagram doesn't exist at this time. No Snapchat, right? It's all on MSN Messenger. So you add her on Messenger and this is how it just starts. That now, once a day, when I get my 40 minutes on the computer, because my brother has to get the other 40 minutes before we have to do our homework, you know, I just get up on SM Messenger, I send her a little message, and we find out that actually we we spend all this time talking to each other on MSN Messenger now, because we just get each other. We're just, but I'm not in the it crowd. I'm not in the popular kids. When we're at school, I don't spend any time with her because at lunch and at recess, she gets taken away by all the popular kids and, you know, she'll, she'll come by and, you know, she'll, she'll wave at me and she'll say, Hey, in the morning. And every now and again, I might get a walk in the morning of her. But that's about it. It's like, but then of course she's got to go back to her boyfriend. She's got her boyfriend and that they're going on dates. And, you know, while they're, 
they hadn't done much sexually together. I find this out later. So remember, they're only 12 and 13 years old. But, you know, they're even pre-sex. I'm talking about, you know, just like digital stuff. Like when I say digital, that's actually the legal term for fingering and uh, blowjobs and that stuff. That's actually the legal term, digital sex. It does, doesn't refer to screens at all. Found this out in year 12 legal studies. Uh, what was I saying there? So I'm not getting much time on. I'm not getting many, I'm not getting many quotes on the mineral of her at all, except for these little pockets, these little pockets. But when the pockets are there, it's fucking on fire. It's incredible. There was a house, there was a house party. This is going to drive it in because this story, this story is about me living as Aladdin, the street rat, and and having to face the Prince Ali. Having to face that, that living that, and so there was a house party with, you know, with a guy who was actually only a couple of streets away from me, and all the popular kids were invited. I think it was probably the first popular party I ever went to, where it's like none of my normal friendship circle is there. It's just the cool kids and the older and the cool kids, older brothers and sisters, and there's alcohol there, right? So this is probably one of the first times I'd been to something like this. And my friend Sarah, who was best friends with Jasmine, the Jasmine, uh, came down with me because on the couple of streets with, went down to that house party, and you know, there's, there's a lot of a lot of cool people there. I feel it a little bit out of my league for sure, a little bit out of my league for sure. Uh, I'm not really sure what to do with my hands. Like, where do I put my hands? <laughs> it's like that kind of feeling. You just mind your P's and Q's. Don't want to piss anyone off. Not really sure where to sit. Not sure if you're allowed to eat. You don't know what it's, you know what the hell you're doing. It's like, you're not a piece of the furniture. You're literally just like a package that just got delivered by the postman that day. <laughs> and so you're just minding your P's and Q's. But then later on in the night, Jasmine and Jake, they, they rock up and, you know, there's, there's a moment. There's a fucking moment where it's getting later at night. It's probably like 9.30, something like that. It's dark. You know, there's, there's some like nice little fairy lights out in the back. And I asked the guy who was running the party, you know, where's the, where's the bin? I need to go chuck out some of this. Uh, I think I had a couple cans or something. I need to chuck out these cans. So he said, oh, it's around the side. It's down the side near the garage. You find your way. It's a bit dark, but you find your way. So I walk down the outside the side alley of the house. I go down the side alley where the garage is to find the recycling bin. And I stop in my tracks. You know, it's quiet. I couldn't hear much other than the the distant sound of beats in the background back inside the house. But for the most part, it's pretty quiet out of here. And I just found myself stopped, dead stopped. Because who was there? There was Jasmine and Jake making out. I feel like I can feel it now. My heart broke in that moment. I can remember it. You feel that intense, overwhelming of heat. It's like an adrenaline response. It's like whether it's because I shouldn't be seeing this or I just don't want to see this. It's probably both. What if they saw me seeing this, seeing this, but more so that I just never wanted to see this. And man, I bolted. I just bolted. I turned around and I just, I ran, I ran back in the house. I went and found Sarah and said, listen, Sarah, I was like emotionally distraught. I was like, Listen, I'm, I'm just leaving. I'm going. Uh, and at that time, I went up to the house party. The guy who was running the house party said, I shook his hand. I said, thanks so much for inviting me, but I got to go. It's, someone serious has come up. He's like, hey, that's cool, bro. That's cool. It's great to have you. 
And like, oh, no worries. And, and then Sarah's like, wait, wait, wait. What are you doing? What are you doing? And my nickname in primary school was Joey. Because my haircut at the time was like Joey from Friends. So they used to call me Joey back then. And she's like, where are you going, Joe? Why? Why? And she's chased me out of the house. And I'm just, and I, we got up halfway up the street. And this is like 9.30 at night. And the moon's out, the stars, yeah. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, almost crying, but not. You know, it's like he kind of choked up a little. And I'm just like, I just saw, it's like, listen, I just, I just saw, I know this sounds fucking weird because I know that they're in a relationship together. But I just walked in on Jake and Jasmine making out. And I don't know why, but it's, and it's like at that point, I don't think I'd acknowledged to Sarah that I was in love with Jasmine. I don't think she, if she, she may have already just inadvertently picked up on it. Probably women are pretty perceptive of that, even at younger ages. But it's definitely the first time she's directly hearing it. And I was just destroyed. And she, she, as a good friend, she just, she hugged me and she walked me back home. And, you know, it's like, fuck that night hurt because I felt like a street rat. You know, like I felt like a street rat. It felt like I didn't belong here, that she was with the guy, that she was with the prince. She had the prince and the prince was having his way, you know. Was, by the way, it's not just that he was, you know, the the cool guy and the surfing guy, right, and the shredded guy and all the other girls want to be with him. He was also a rich guy as well, right? His, his uh, parents drove the Mercedes as well, you know. So it's at the time, at the time, it felt like that, Straight rat Adam wasn't good enough. That's what it felt like. Wow. It's amazing. I've never told that story before, but it's amazing. And the story's not over, by the way, but I've never told that story or that part of the story, this story or that part of the story. And it brings back a lot of emotion. I can still feel that night. I can still remember the songs they were playing. The song, you know that song, uh, Because I Got High. They kicked me out of school because I got high. And it's like that, it's that reggae song. Cause I got high, cause I got high, cause I got high. Yeah, is that song? That song was playing when I walked in to the house party that day. I remember that shit, man. These emotions stay with you. We don't forget anything. We only lose our ability to access those memories. As the great and wise Paul Alicio says, we forget nothing. Only our ability to access those memories. So, anyways... So I remember that was probably first quarter of the year. And from that point on, I thought my chances were out the window. I felt like there's no way I'm going to be able to somehow. She's she's definitely going to go to a different high school for me. By the way, guys, it's not like we're on the fringe of each. I probably should have mentioned this before. It's like you may have felt like my reaction was a little over the top, like a little overreacting. We were friends at that time. While I didn't have a best friend relationship with her at that time, we weren't super deep with each other. But we MSN messaged with each other probably every, at least five nights of the week. I was at that stage walking to school with her in the morning with Sarah a lot. But a lot of times I would walk Jasmine home because it was on the way home to my place. And listen, a lot of times her boyfriend was there as well. A lot of times Sarah was there as well. It was very rarely that I got a moment alone with her. But I was still spending a lot of time at least relative, you know, in your life at those days. What is your life in those days? Your life in those days is get up, watch Cheese TV, watch Dragon Ball Z, watch Goku turn fucking Super Saiyan and fuck Freezer up, right? Watch Yamcha make a fool of himself, just, <laughs> just disgraceful. And then you go to school. 
Then you come home, then you have sports practice after school, play basketball, do soccer. Then you come home, you watch a little more, you watch a little ABC Kids, you watch Arthur, right? You watch Arthur, you watch that swag, you do your homework, you carry the one, you times by five, then you have dinner. And then that's it. That's, and then that's basically your life in primary school. If you have a PlayStation, you play a little PlayStation. So anything outside of that routine actually weighs a lot. Just a little walk with a girl that you're in love with means a fucking lot. So I'm just trying to infuse you guys with emotions. I'm trying to rile you up. I'm trying to get you romantic. (laughs) Trying to get you in the feels. So so let's progress this forward. Some... As the months go on, as we start to move in towards the middle of the last, towards the end of the year, the true colors of the Prince Ali starts to show. A lot of the relationships he had had with other girls never lasted very long. They weren't year-long relationships. They weren't half-year-long relationships. They were like short spurts, month to months, which is typical for that age, but there was a lot of them is the point, which means that there was something about him that was unmaintainable. Something about the way that he treated girls was unmaintainable. And in my conversations with Jasmine, you know, on MSN Messenger and whatnots, and little walks and little moments at recess, I might be able to get with it. I would sense disconcern. I would sense a rift. I would sense her not entirely happy with how he is particularly because a new girl got transferred to our school and she was a bombshell. She was an absolute, she was an absolute A-bomb. I'm not going to mention her name. But she, everyone, like when she arrived, she was like, we already had very attractive girls at our primary school. This girl went to the next level. This was like, uh, she was just explicitly, like outwardly trying to show off how hot she was wearing the shortest and tightest of uh, short shorts and the shortest of skirts and making sure she's always wearing a push-up bra. Like, it was, she was so inverted, so so explicit about her femininity. Love it. Love it. But it was just in your face. And drove all the guys brazen. <laughs> all the guys brazen. So, so when she arrived, Jake was already was already in the relationship with Jasmine, but he couldn't help himself. Couldn't help himself. Opportunity is a tempting beast. And of course, you know, this girl, we'll call her, uh, we'll call her Charlie's angel. We'll call her Charlie. Because he's talking about Cameron Diaz. She reminds me of Cameron Diaz from Charlie's Angels. She, of course, wanted to get with Jake because Jake was the number one. And so she was very flirtatious. Everyone could see it. Everyone could see that she was rocking the boat. She was trying to break this home between Princess Jasmine and Prince Jake. I could sense that this was fucking with Jasmine. And I slipped into the best friend role. As time went on, it got elevated to where now I would have a lot of one-on-one walks with Jasmine because I could just be there for her. I was very good at listening at that age. I was not very good at conveying masculine intent and putting my intent forward. But one thing I sure as hell could do being a Mr. Nice Guy is I could fucking listen. And so, as you guys know, it's it's no good for making relationships sexually polarized, but it's very good for making friends. 
It's very good for getting people to trust you and be comfortable with you. And so, and if you have time, it can maybe sometimes work out. Not that it's ever recommended, but of course, does it only apply if you were in primary school? Because <laughs> you have years together with each other in which that you can make up for these mistakes. It would never work out in the real world. And so I eventually became her best friend. As the months went on and we started to get into the later stage of the year, I'm actually her best friend at this point. We actually, we, I don't think we ever spent, whether I had like a date at each other's house, like in terms of even just as best friends one-on-one, you know, that was, I don't think we ever did that, but we would meet up at the park a lot together. We walked to schools together. And now it's just like, not only am I in love with her, but I'm also her best friend. It's like, it's, she's just such a mind-blowing girl and connection that we have, but she still has his boyfriend. Still has his boyfriend. And even though I'm just playing the street ride game, and that's all the reason why I brought up the story is I'm playing that street ride game, but I'm waiting, if you can imagine, for things to just burn. I'm waiting for her relationship with Jake, and he continuously keeps treating her poorly. As the year goes on, he keeps being more flirtatious with the Charlie's Angel, and and which forces Jasmine to confide within me more. And so at a certain point, as luck would have it, they broke up. I think it was like within the last two months. I remember it was like the last term of the, our final year of primary school when we we're all about to go to different high schools that she broke up with him because of for many reasons but primarily because i feel like basically he was cheating on her at least emotionally if not physically with the other girl and i think it was within a week and a half if not two within a week and a half if not two but you for damn sure can believe that every single day once they had broken up and of course when they break up everyone fucking knows there were a lot of guys that wanted to get with jasmine a lot of guys were waiting in line for jasmine i and a lot of them knew because of our connection together that I was most likely first in line, if not battling with one other guy. Because I was, everyone knew me and Jasmine to basically be best friends. And sometimes people were even thinking that maybe we were even dating as well. Like, or like that she was cheating on Jake with me. It was never the case though. You know, people would make jabs like that, but it was never the case. But within a week and a half to two weeks, like I saddled up. And it was on a walk. It was one of those boarding walks. I can still see it. It was a boarding walk, cold morning. Sun was out though. And I was walking with Jasmine. We were at, it took me all the walk though. I was going to ask her out. I made up my mind. I'm going to ask her out this entire walk. It took me to the end of the walk, which is like a good 25 minutes to where we're basically at the drop-off zone at school. It's like a little straight away from the drop-off zone. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. Just while she's talking, she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. When am I going to do this? If I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. So I just all of a sudden stop on the sidewalk. And I'm like, listen, okay, we've got to stop. And she's like, what, why? And I'm like, listen, just come here. And I say, give me your hands. And I hold my hands out and she gives me her hands. And I just look at her and I think I take at least five seconds to even open my mouth while stuttering going, this you know i really like you like not just like you but i I like you and i care for you and i wanted to know if you wanted to be my girlfriend (laughs) 
That was, and that's me being generous, by the way. I'm sure it was way worse. I'm sure it was even more studded, even less calibrated. I'm sure it's like, I was, my heart was in my mouth, basically. It was just so hard to get out. But the entire time, she's just like magic in the eyes. Her eyes are just lit up, absolute Sailor Moon. And she, she, this is what she says to me. She goes, listen, she's like, she's like, because of my nickname's Joy. She's like, listen, Joy, so I really, really, really appreciate you telling me. But is it okay if I tell you, you have some time? I don't remember if she said it by the end of that day or maybe she said by tomorrow. No, no, I think she said give me a week actually. For some reason, give me a week sounds like it's in, like that for some reason sticks in my mind. But basically it was not a yes or no. It was a sentiment of that I really appreciate it, but I need time because well, I only just broke up with Jake. And that I think in her mind, she didn't want to appear to be this ship jumper as if all along she wanted to just get in a relationship with me. And how would that look if only two weeks after being in this relationship for like a year, which is a long time in primary school, with this other guy, that she all of a sudden just goes, even though everyone already knew that if she was to get with another person, it probably would be me because we just have such a tight connection. And she said, do you mind? I think it was at least a week, she said. It definitely wasn't by the end of the day. I think it was a week. I could be wrong. I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong, Jasmine. But it was some time. And I said to her, yeah, yeah, of course. Have whatever time you need. And uh, yeah, okay, let's walk. <laughs> and so we just, we walked. But because we were best friends, it wasn't very awkward after. You would imagine it would be. It wasn't though. Because we were really, we really had that amazing connection. And so we walked into the We went up to each other's class. By... I don't, I think the only person she told was her best friend, Sarah, because I didn't cop any flack for it until later on. <laughs> so let me rush the story. Let me finish the story here. Basically, the story, the way this, this story works out is that um, I can't remember if it was on MSN Messenger or in person, which one was first or if it was text, but because of course we had each other's numbers, but within the week, she decided, yes, she decided, okay, let's do it. And... From there, that was my first ever proper monogamous relationship. And this is my first ever sexual experience as well. Not that we had sex, but we did a lot of other things, and which no one our age had ever done before, which is actually why the relationship ended, because it got out and people were gossiping at high school, a lot of pressure on her. She had to end it. There's a lot of messiness at the end. But the time that we did spend together was amazing, outrageous, incredible to go from best friends to lovers oh man the way that it happened and this is why i brought up the story i'm gonna try i do my best to make this relevant because <laughs> we've been going the story for a while for me it was living the life of, oh this is why the, the purpose of the disney the purpose of the aladdin story that there are lessons to be taken from that aladdin story and that for me i lived that street rat i lived that street rat life of where you feel like you weren't good enough that she was always with the wrong guy. She was with the guy that was not treating her right. And I always felt that way. He didn't treat her right, but he was just a cool guy and that he had certain clout. He had certain pull, particularly socially. Obviously at that age, you don't have a lot of money, but he had the air of that, had the air of that, that ego. And I just felt like she was always with the wrong person. And 
but there was always def- there was definitely a big part of me that felt like, well, am I am I good enough for her then? And you you're young at that age. I well, I do have older brothers. None of them are really in the sense of older brothers for different reasons. One of them doesn't live near me. The other one has certain psychological disabilities that makes that impossible. So I've never had an older brother. I've never really had an older father figure. None of my fathers were the type that could help me with my social life and my dating life. None of them were like that. I've had two particular father figures, obviously my biological, but my stepfather, and I love them both. Absolutely love them both, but that just wasn't their expertise. They taught me a lot of other things, a lot of other ways, you know, stoicism and martial arts and discipline from my biological dad and uh, savviness and intelligence and thinking things through and being level-headed from my stepfather. You know, I'd learned a lot of things from them, but neither of them were social masters and were not able to teach me about social life. I never talked to them about my socializing. And I didn't have older brother figures for it, so I just didn't, I had to work this shit out on my own. And yeah, you know, walking in on them, that street party, and you feel like, uh, shit, I'm not good enough. It's like this is the worst way to find out that you're not good enough. Or to think that you to come to a position in which you feel like that you're not good enough, walking in on her, making out with another guy who you feel like she shouldn't be with. And so, but in the end of the story, it is a fairy tale story. It's a Disney like story in the sense that I stayed true to me in the end. I didn't try to break myself. I didn't try to change myself. And I think if not one of the many reasons why I brought up the story for UX is that I stayed true to me. I stayed direct, congruent, authentic to me. That I was never going to try and become the popular kid. I was never going to try and use anything but my emotional currency to show her that this is why we should be together. And this is what I can offer you and what I would like to experience with you. And in the end, it paid off. A lot of the times, a lot of the times it's not going to pay off. But therein lies the issue of what you believe the payoff to be. If the payoff is getting the girl, stop right now. You know, go away. Go away and dive introspectively into yourself to realize that you never owned her. She never was yours to keep. She never was a commodity to win, buy, sell, or transfer. payoff was in developing who you are the payoff was in walking your path developing your roots and riding your wave so even if she had turned me down and we didn't end up getting into my first ever full proper love relationship actual love like not just stupid shit that last two weeks but i think we we were together for it wasn't a full year I think it was like six months or so, six, seven months, something like that. But that was when we were transitioning into high school. And like I said, there was a messy end because of the gossiping. But the time we did spend together was unreal, absolutely unreal. But that still was not the payoff. And this is where we start to bring this podcast to a wrap in a sense of that, or this, this part of the podcast in which that I would encourage you so deeply to reframe and reinstall the software of what you believe payoff in life to be in your relationships with human beings. The payoff is not in getting validated by them, is not in owning them. It never was them. The payoff was always in who you were becoming. That's all that ever mattered. 
Because even if she had never didn't get into a relationship with me, even if she didn't choose to get into a relationship with me, Jasmine, I would have been so much stronger going into high school to meet all these new women, all these new girls, I should say, and to form new relationships. Either way, I was going to win. You know, I had a sword with a single edge and a handle. Internal development is wielding a blade with a single edge and a handle. External validation is a sword with no handle. Yes, sir. Brave that shit in. So, my friends, we're just ticking in somewhere around the two-hour mark. It's pretty standard. I said I was going to open up the big map. It would be, listen, listen, I tell you, I'm always real, I'm always real with you guys. At this stage in the podcast, I want to end it right now because I feel like we've just hit the absolute core of it. I feel like that story really, we can hit a summary, but that story really just sums up in a nutshell you know, it's not the title of this podcast, How to Express Love or whatever I've titled this podcast. But I feel like in that story, you learn what it means to express love. You know, the way that I convert, the converse wrong word. No, it's actually, that is the right word. The way that I converted her from feeling like she had to be with that popular it guy to just being with this little street rat was that my ability to transfer emotion. I care for her so much, even when it wasn't reciprocated necessarily in the same degree, that I was there for her always, that when we spent time together, I wasn't on my phone. Even, and yes, at that, even in those days, we had phones. We didn't have mobile data necessarily. Most of us didn't anyway. But you had games, you have photos, videos, etc., music. When I was with her, I was with her. I wasn't with her for any ulterior motive. I wasn't with her for any exterior motive. I wasn't with her to be someone else, to show up as someone else, to impress someone else. I wasn't with her to impress myself. I wasn't with her to validate myself. When I was with her, I was just with her. When we would sit down at lunchtime in the basketball court and we would pass the ball back and forward between each other, facing each other, sitting down there on the court as the sunset goes down after basketball training. Just to be in her presence was more than enough. In those four square feet, just to look her in the eyes and just see her beauty. See the beauty of all of her energy. That wild feminine flower. And just to behold all of what she is in that moment. That's all I could have ever asked for. That's all I ever wanted. And in only ever wanting that, I freed myself of the trappings of which X you have found yourself in, of confusing financial currency with emotional currency, confusing financial stability with emotional stability. I wasn't actually a straight rat in the definition of being poor and third world poor, but I certainly did not have the popularity clout. I was not from the same group of people that she interacted with. I was from a different land. It's from a different land, so to speak. I was from a different world. And in the, in the end of the day, you know, that's, that's all she needs from you, ex. The way you express your love to her, 
The way to express your love to her is to express yourself in such a manner in which that you are no longer concerned for yourself. To not rely or depend on anything else in this life other than what you have internally cultivated and know to be your true source, your true essence of being. You want to call it magic? You want to call it Tao? You want to call it Dharma? You want to call it love? You want to call it God? You want to call it a simulation? Whatever you know to be, that part of yourself when you strip everything away, you strip back the meaningless, fruitless, deceiving illusions and delusions of this world, and you just go into someone. You come in and you go into them. You meet someone at their eyes and you go into them. X, how many times have you met her at the eyes but not stopped there to go in? Many, many, many many people have not realized this fundamental form of human communication, which is not to just meet someone at their eyes, but to go into them, to penetrate into them, deep into their spirit, deep, deep into the abyss where you have lost all knowing of what it means to be you. And in there, there's such peace, such calming peace to look into someone's eyes and know that no one's looking back at you. It's just one. And we're just here now as one. Yeah. I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. That's very big. It's very spiritual. It's very macro expression of love. That's all love is really at its core, but it's very deep. It's very big. What does that look like in a more tactical sense for those that are a little, you know, struggling with that a little? My number one tip you might be asking for. Well, what can I do today that would help me to cultivate that expression of big love? How can I work on that in bite-sized pieces? Well, my friend, Nanakama, what you could do is learn to shut up, is learn to breathe deeply into your diaphragm, starting in the balls, rising up through your diaphragm, expanding up into the chest, allowing your chest cavity to express, hold, and then let it out nice and slow. Do this for minutes upon minutes, seconds upon seconds, weeks upon weeks. Years upon years. What am I speaking to here is developing your center. Developing your center energy. Your ability to be centered. To control your breathing. To maintain presence and connection in now. Cultivate this number one key skill set when it comes to expressing love for sure. If you can't express yourself freely. If you can't feel free within your own meat suit. Your meat bag then how, how do you expect to have an effective communication to someone else, someone else's meat bag? I want you to have the loosest and freest meat bag possible. 
past that point. When you're going on to your dates, my friend, I think it's painfully obvious at this point that you need to completely redefine what it means to spend time with a member of the opposite gender. That it has nothing, no thing to do with what you are doing, only with how you are being. I don't care about the restaurant, I don't care about the cafe, and neither does she. What she cares about first is four square feet. How does he look at me? How does he speak to me? How does he touch me? How does he speak to himself? How does he hold himself? What's his standard mode of operation? Where's his center? How grounded he is? If I was to shake this frame, as is the feminine desire to test and to shake that frame, would it break? I was to stand firm and can I hold myself? Can he hold me? Can he be my vessel? You need to get into the gardens. You need to get into the mountains. You need to get down to the beach. You need to get down to the park. You need to get down to a place that helps you to realize that you can no longer mask your inabilities, your inadequacies of social dynamics with the restaurant, cars, money, doing things. Those things only mask your inadequacy of social skill. My advice to you, or anyone in his position, is stop putting on a mask, take off the mask, look in the mirror, and realize your inadequacy. And then say, that's okay. I'm going to go to work on it. I will do work in my own time. To develop my center, I will go forward and interact with as many cold human beings as possible to be tested on my abilities and to refine my abilities again and again. This is how you develop social skill and to achieve and cement a level of conscious competence within social skill, which is a level of seven to eight on the clock face of social dynamics. That's the number one thing you need to do. Can't have you. Cannot have you going out on or interacting with feminine beings if you wish to have successful, fulfilling relationships of meaning with them, with deep penetration, not just sexually, but spiritually. If you aren't willing to address the fact that you're wearing a mask that's many layers deep, but predominantly as thick as one that is based and built upon finance. You know, throw, destroy that mask, obliterate it, swing the giant hammer of humility onto that mask, and realize that financial stability was never the key. I need to develop myself. That is the key. Stop! <laughs> Fuck yes. That, that, that is a wrap up. <laughs> oh, feeling some jelly. Feeling some jelly today. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. That just felt good. You know what I'm saying, guys? It just felt good. Imagine, well, you know what's going to feel even better, though, is if he actually heeded this and actually went and changed his life, came back to me in a year and said, holy shit, man, I'm a different person now. Because you know what? It's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to happen in a day. It's going to have some time. You need some time to make these changes. But make no mistake, change happens now. The decision to make change happens now. Change will take time. Cemented time. Cemented change will take time, but the decision to make that change happens now. Oh, 
So, my friends, I've probably, t- I don't have no idea what I titled this podcast, something to do with how to express love when it's time to break up. This is what most of this podcast is about, was really the expression of love. That's If you really think what this all boils down to is that in your relationships, how are you expressing your love? How have you chosen to express your love? That's what matters. How have you chosen to connect and interrelate with human beings? That's what matters. Ascertain, reflect, divulge and synthesize what you have realized. Come at me. Come at me, bruh, with those realizations of deep philosophical meaning. I would love to hear them either in a comment on YouTube, in that little comment box. Any questions you may have, if anything here you require further explanation of or would like to just sound off your appreciation or realization, whatever it may be, all can be dropped in the YouTube comment box. If you would like to be featured, as X has here, in the next BDP, then, or sure, Boldojo clip, feel free to email me at boldojo.com, B-O-W-L-dojo.com. Links in all of the descriptions of this podcast. And you can email me there. Also, you can book one-on-one coaching, sign up for the Bold Coaching memberships or one-off sessions at boldojo.com. There's also a whole bunch of free resources up there in the resources of wisdom, quotes, films, anime, docos, music, books. This is quite extensive up there. And if you have not yet, please sign up to the, well, if you'd like to, if you would like to get some awesome shit, sign up to the free weekly email newsletter, which is the Bold Sip. Comes out every Friday, Australian time. Free cheeky article on social dynamics and also some sexy updates from the universe. It's all up in there. Been discussing a lot of uh, COVID things in that recently, particularly to do with freedom. And and so, yeah, that's where I can really speak my mind out there about being censored online. And if you have not yet and would like to seek a little extra connection, feel free to head over to Instagram at uitang1, double tang one I put up some exclusive content there as well. Also, if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, please do that. Tap the notification bell if you haven't yet. And by the way, guys, if you feel like you got something from this, for sure, send this to someone you feel like could also get some benefit. I feel like there was, uh, I feel, if I feel this good after listening to this podcast, I can imagine someone else would. Like, I feel good. I feel better after listening to this, after just doing this. I feel good. I haven't even listened back to it. So I hope that you guys did as well. And I always love to hear that feedback. So, my friends, as we want to wrap up this session, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful life, huh? It's a challenging life, but it's a beautiful life. And it is what we make. While there are aspects of society that we cannot control outside of ourselves, we can always control the society within ourselves. And that's always what my modus operandi is going to be. You know, you dominate yourself. Control yourself, know yourself. All the wise leaders have said, it's about this. It's about one. So I thank you all so much and I wish you all the best in your lives. Much peace and much joy.